It's an interesting season of the year, this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We call it Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Historically, it's the time in which the church reflected on the millennia of anticipation from creation to Christ. But what do we end up reflecting on most in Advent? If we're honest, a lot of our conversations, particularly we have young folks around, is not an anticipation of celebrating the birth of Jesus. The thing we reflect on most is, what do I want for Christmas? What does my wife want for Christmas? <sighs> what do my children want for Christmas? A man came to me years ago, a young man coming for counseling. At Christmas, very early on in his marriage, he would have benefited greatly from going to the covenant class starting next week, uh, talking about marriage. Christmas had been very, very taxing on him. He had been dropping hints on his new wife what he wanted for Christmas. What he wanted was this, a Mossberg Silver Reserve 12-gauge shotgun. 28-inch barrel, walnut stock, polished engraved receiver. That's what he wanted for Christmas. So what did he do? He took the magazines and the catalogs and that sort of thing, and he circled it and he dog-eared them and he left it, you know, very, very blatantly in public places where she would see it. He put it on his online wish list. He talked very loudly to friends on the phone, hoping his young bride would overhear him. And so he came to me, and he was very downcast, and I asked him, well, did you get the Mossberg? No. What did you get for Christmas? My wife took a she took a menu from the restaurant where we had our first date. She had saved for all these years. And she took a, a beautiful picture of our wedding, and she mounted it, used the menu as a mat, and she put it in a custom frame, and she gave that lovely picture to me for Christmas. I said, wow, that's very, very nice. He said, yeah. I said, not really what you wanted, is it? No. We kind of sat there in silence for a few minutes, commiserating as men would. I said, by the way, what'd you get your wife? He smiled just a bit. He said, I got her a Mossberg Silver Reserve 12 gauge with a 28 inch barrel, a walnut stock, and a polished engraved receiver. What do you want for Christmas? I'm not asking what's on your Amazon wish list. I'm not asking what's on that letter that you mailed to Santa, courtesy of the North Pole. What do you want for Christmas? Let me suggest something this morning. Something that we find taken uh, from the depths of the Old Testament. Uh, we find back in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, we'll put it in context in just a moment, uh, but let me read to you uh, God's word as Moses has a conversation with God Himself. I'll begin reading in verse 12, and I'll take it through verse 23 in Exodus chapter 33. And Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor also in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses says, Please, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness to pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand, and you shall see me, my back. But my face shall not be seen. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for this, your word. Thank you for the presentation of this event of Moses with the Lord, the glory of God passing before him. Father, his promise to be a covenant-keeping God, loving His people, finding them to be favorable in His sight. Lord, I pray that this morning that we too would know a bit of Your glory as we spend time in Your Word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, let's think about just a little bit of the context of what's going on here and really how this relates to this time of Advent and again what would be on your Christmas want list. We go back just a chapter, if you're there in, the, in God's Word, you can flip back to Exodus chapter 32, and you come <clears throat> upon a very familiar scene. This is the occasion of the golden calf. Moses had been up on Mount Sinai for quite some time. The people had grown a bit restless, and they insisted that Aaron would make for them a golden calf, an idol, that they might see something tangible before them. That they might say, this is Yahweh, this is Jehovah, this is the God that has delivered us that they would worship by means of this idol. The fact that it was a calf was not indicative that they were turning to worship Baal. They were seeking to worship God through the use of idols, a practice which God would not stomach. So they had had fashioned this this calf. They had uh, done so, and they were worshiping it. Uh, Moses had come down from the mountain, carrying with him uh, the two tablets of the law, the first and the second table. The Ten Commandments we find, and and immediately we see upon the bringing of the law to the people, the law literally dashed at the feet of their sin. Moses breaking those tablets. We see the law broken visibly right there because of what's happening in the valley while Moses was meeting with the Lord on Mount Sinai. A very visible meeting place. Now keep in mind, the people had not been devoid of a, a wonderful a wonderful demonstration of God's presence. They had been led through the desert, hadn't they not? They'd been led through the desert by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that they would always see where the Lord was moving them to be. They had been wonderfully met each and every morning with the food that they needed. Water from the rock, manna from heaven, these types of things God had been so gracious to provide. 
They had stepped foot out of Egypt onto dry land in the midst of the Red Sea, and now as they wandered through the deserts, they grumbled, and they complained, and they demanded to be able to fashion for themselves a God that they might worship, a pattern by which they would worship of their own design, of their own construction. Well, what became of that golden calf? Well, the golden calf, it was dashed. Uh, Moses had them to destroy it. But not just to destroy it. It was to be destroyed. It was to be burnt. And the ashes and the remnants therein mixed into the water. And the people of God were to drink. Drink this, this slushy mixture of water and the remains of this idol. A fitting end. A fitting end to the creation of our hands when it is in opposition to God's plan for what ultimately became of that idol, that as the children of Israel continued over the next days to journey, led by God, to remain there at the base of Mount Sinai, the idol itself became waste, waste left there in the desert to be found no more. That's the context of what's going on here. Moses goes back up onto the mountain, and there the Lord meets with him again. Moses intercedes for the people. He says, now will you forgive their sins? He pleads before God. He becomes a mediator for the people before God, because God was angry. God was angry. We, not in a sinful way, God was angry for His own glory. The Lord's anger burned against the people that He had delivered. Their lack of gratitude, their selfishness, their rebellion. And Moses pled for them. And he even went so far as to say, but now if you will forgive their sins, please Lord God. But if not, then blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses is saying, I I would if I could stand in the place of these people. Their sin is great. In this moment now, Moses finds some temporary sanctuary in the presence of God. He comes and he he meets with God. He's there on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, we read. And there on the mountain, he really prays, in this context, three basic prayers. In verse 13, he prays that God would show him, show him God's ways. For the people have been pursuing their own ways, hadn't they? They said, let's gather up all this gold and stuff, all this goodness that we brought out of Egypt, by the way, God's provision, God had made the people of Egypt to release based on the plagues and indeed the the death of the firstborn. The fact that they left Egypt with the riches of Egypt that they could then melt down and make into a golden idol. Such ingratitude, such rebellion. And Moses says, Lord, please show me your ways. I want to see your ways. First prayer he makes. Second prayer he makes is this, that if your presence will not go with us, then do not bring us out of here. Lord, if you would not go with us, then we shall not go. For we'd be a mockery of the nations. We would be easily defeated. If your presence is not with us, then Lord God, lead us or send us not. Second prayer is, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. But the third prayer, the third prayer is what we want to look at today. Short, simple, direct. And I think you'll begin to see very rapidly what I would ask you to consider placing at the very, very top of your Christmas list this year. Verse 18, Moses very simply, very directly says, Lord, please, show me your glory. Show me your glory. That was was more than Moses crying out, Lord, would you do a trick for me? Lord, would you dazzle me? 
It was so much more than him saying, Lord, I just need, I need to see you. Can, you. can you just come stand here in front of me? That's, that's often the way that we would seek to translate that. But it is indeed a true cry of spiritual hunger. A cry, an expression of an appetite that only God can satisfy. He is crying out, I desire, Lord God, beyond all things, that I would see your glory. David makes this prayer later, doesn't he? Psalm 42, in verse 1, As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. Lord, I am so thirsty for you. I desire to drink deep of you. I, I want to be quenched by you. And indeed, as I drink it, I want, I want to drink it more. David cries out, just like that deer. Oh, so thirsty. And finds that cool, refreshing stream. Psalm 42 continues. It says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Or Psalm 73. Asaph here prays this in Psalm 73. For whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing... There is nothing and no one that I desire on earth before you. The idols of the valley, let us dispose of them and make them to be waste in the desert. But let us cry out, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. This is not simply an Old Testament manifestation, the Shekinah glory, the idea of the tabernacle and the temple and God dwelling there. It's not just an Old Testament thing that has gone away. It's something the Apostle Paul picks up on. We find it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss, rubbish, trash, to be dispensed with. I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. He says, may I see His glory. It is enough. Was it the advent of Jesus indeed? The priests praying and praying and praying that the day would come when the Messiah was promised would be here. And when his eyes beheld the baby in the arms of Mary, accompanied by Joseph there, he said, it is enough. My eyes are are seeing this. My life, my life has found wondrous fulfillment. For I've seen the glory of God. Christians, this is the passion that we find with authentic Christianity. This is a passion of Christian authenticity. Whatever else we might legitimately pray for, and yes, we pray for very many legitimate things. We, we pray for healing. We pray uh, for restoration. We pray for jobs. We pray for accommodation. We pray for all of these sorts of things. But whatever our souls might need, this is the driving appetite. We think about the book of James. Remember how James talks about how we deal with other people? He says, it's, it's some, one thing, if somebody comes to you and they're hungry and they need shelter, if they're thirsty, if they're needy, and we just look at them and say, oh, peace be with you. Go and be warm and well-fed. To pronounce just a blessing and give them a few words and send them on their way. You see, they, they don't hear the blessing. They don't hear the gospel. They don't hear the words we're saying because their craving, their hunger, their appetite, their need is shouting loudly. And we need to know that we in Christ, that we need to, to, to see that 
that that is our master appetite, that should be the controlling desire of the Christian soul. That we would say, Lord God, if I don't know your glory, if I don't know you, I am most pitiable. We prayed that in the confession of sin this morning, didn't we? That we would cry out, I am bankrupt without you, Lord God. Show me your glory. I want to know your glory. I want to know Jesus. Who do I have on heaven? Who do I have on earth besides you? There's nothing that I desire beyond you. And so we see in this passage in Exodus chapter 33, that even as it is the great passion of every Christian, it is also a wondrous and great provision of God's grace. You see, God answers that prayer of Moses, does He not? He he speaks words to the other request, but to this third request, He acts. And he, He meets Moses in His goodness, God's goodness, not Moses's. He meets Him, but He accommodates it. To, to what Moses can handle. Look with me there. We find in verses 19 to 33, the Lord says, I will be gracious. He said, I'll make all my goodness to pass before you and I'll proclaim before you my name. And I'll be gracious on whom I'll be gracious and have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. That's not the Lord being capricious. That's the Lord saying, indeed, I am sovereign over these things. And he goes on to say, you can't see my face. He knows that to stand in the presence of a perfectly holy God and to experience His full righteousness as a sinner would be utter devastation. The Lord says, but there's a place. The Lord makes accommodation. We see the discussion of this, God actually speaking to Moses, we refer to this as being an anthropomorphic statement. That God speaks to him as if he has hands and feet and arms like he is a man. God is not a man, has not a body like us. We learn that in the catechism. We learn that in scripture. That God is spirit and we worship him in spirit and truth. But it says, I'll I'll shelter you as if I were to take my hands and place them over you. That you would be sheltered. But you would see, you would see a glimpse of my glory. You would see a moment of my majesty. And it will be enough. It'll be enough. Well, what happens? As Moses is up there on the mountain, he's interceding for the people, and he's rejoicing in the presence of God. And what happens? Chapter 34, it continues on. It says, the Lord, this is verses 6 through 9 of chapter 34. It says, the Lord, the Lord, of God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. Is that not a glorious provision? Right there on the mountaintop, as the people down there are still ill over the effects of their sin, that God is the one who brings forgiveness, forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression. He says, but He will by no means clear the guilty and visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Chapter 34 goes on to say, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped and he said, Lord, if I found favor in your sight, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for this is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. So there, Moses continues to intercede and to plead before God, a God whom he has seen his glory, became more and more aware of his own sin and the sin of those around him, a stiff-necked, a stubborn, a rebellious people. Moses is mediating for the people on the mountain. 
speaking with God on their behalf. Against the backdrop of sin, the sin of the valley, we see the glory of God on the mountain. And Moses is right there in the middle of that. Moses comes down off the mountain. He'd been there on Sinai, as I said, for some 40 days and 40 nights. He comes down off of the mountain. And the people could not stand to look at him. They they were astonished by what they saw. For just in a moment, just in a moment, God had moved His hands away and Moses had seen His glory. And coming from His presence, the reflected glory of Moses was enough to unsettle all those who looked at Him. And so Moses would veil his face as he came among the people and take that off as he would go into the holy place. His shining face. While while it it was unsettling to them, it was a constant reminder that God was with them. And their mediator, Moses, would continue to go into his presence and by doing so, they could go on. So we see this this wondrous occasion of Moses interceding for the people, going before God, seeing His glory, and being that regular reminder of God's presence from that point on that the people would know that God was with them. What does this have to do with Advent? What does this have to do with what I would want for Christmas? Why not a shepherd's story? How about some wise men? Well, in this Advent season, it is a short time, a very couple of weeks, waiting in anticipation, and we remember the watching and the waiting of the people of God, from creation to the fall, from the fall to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, this mediator we're talking about here with the people, to the birth of Jesus, the millennia, that it took until the time was right, as Galatians said, that God would send His Son. Christians, we need to know that this morning... This morning, we don't have Moses. We have a better mediator. We have the perfect mediator, the one who lives to make intercession between God and man, the one who makes perfect intercession for us, the one who came from the presence of God, came to dwell with us, and has returned to the presence of God to serve as that mediator for us, pleading. And the way that Moses was unable to do, as Moses said, you know what, Lord? If if you will not forgive them, then blot me out. Our Savior Jesus was able to say, Lord God, in order to forgive them, you have to blot me out. That it was on the cross that Jesus Christ indeed was blotted and He cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? That He indeed did what Moses could not to stand in our place as a perfect and a full and an eternal mediator for us. And we read in in John chapter 1, The Advent that we celebrate in anticipation of the cross, anticipation of final and future and perfect glory. John chapter 1 we read, beginning in verse 14, the Word became flesh. Remember that eternal Word? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14 said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen what? His glory. We have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace, full of truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom it was said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. When Moses cried out, Lord, show me your glory. In that moment, God showed him in part. 
in Jesus Christ, we see in such glorious measure His glory. We see Jesus perfectly presented for us in the God-breathed Word. Do you want to know what God's like? Do you want... Can this be added to your Christmas list this year? Lord, I want to know Your glory. I want to see Your glory. I want to know God. Then the answer to that, my friends, is not to be found in wrapping under a Christmas tree. It's not going to be found in shopping or online. It's not going to be found in the malls or the stores. It is going to be found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That we would look and see, trace the contours of the character of Christ. That we would see them all. The full glory of God and His Son. That we would bask in the person of Jesus in the year to come. That we would know Jesus, as Paul says, the power of His resurrection. Count everything else as trash. As Moses was on the mountain, the people were still reeling from what did we just experience? How had we sinned? The idols of the world, how did we get that part? And they had suffered the consequences of that, and they were still enduring the consequences of that, but they found one who would intercede for them. We live in a day where we do continually construct idols, maybe not out of gold, not out of wood, not out of silver, not pounded out or shaped or fashioned and set in a place of prominence, but we create idols in our hearts. As Calvin said, our hearts are perpetual idol factories. We are always looking for something to steal the love that we owe God and God alone. We need to dash those things. We need to burn them. We need to leave them as waste in the desert. And we need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ to see His presence. It's not in the idols, but it's in the presence of God that we see God's glory. It's in His Word. It's in prayer. Yeah, we pray, we pray for our needs, certainly, but, but we also follow in the pattern of Moses. We need to be in constant prayer, interceding and pleading for our families, for our church, for our community, and for the world. It is there before the presence of God that we see His glory. There daily as we go forth from the presence of God then, if indeed Moses, who could not show his face because people would know where he had come from, we ought to also be so obvious in our going forth, so radically different from the world around us that others would look and they would say, indeed, this is someone who has come to us from the presence of God. Not in a supernatural way physically, but indeed spiritually. And that we would indeed be pressing on to lead them. To lead them to the presence and the glory of God. I encourage you, as we go forth from this place, that we in prayer, that we in study, that we in meditation, that we would seek the glory of God. Seek the face of God. Seek to know Him. Lord, as I read this passage today, I want to see you. And that we would bear it into this dark world. That it would change the way that we go forth. That it would not simply be a moment we say, wow, this hill's nice. Now let's go back to our life. But we would come from the mountain to the people around us and show them Jesus. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want? Is it something that will rust? Is it something that will break or fade, devalue or become obsolete? Or is it, really, is it that you would know the glory of God? Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the children of Israel would know the mediation of one who loved you and loved them.
But Lord God, we thank you that we have one greater than Moses, for even as Moses brought the law, we see our Savior coming in love and grace. Not setting aside the law, but fulfilling the law. Not ignoring sin, but atoning for sin. We thank you that we can look upon and see Jesus clearly presented in your word, upon whom we rest certainly, that we would know the real presence of your glory among us. Father, that we would be dazzled and amazed, that we would be in shock and awe of our Savior, God with us. In this Advent season, I pray, Lord God, that even if we found no present under the tree, no treats in stockings, and even disappointment and the lack of occasion to meet with family and friends. Lord, if all these expectations fail, I pray, Lord God, that our desire would be that it is enough that I might know You. That I might know the power of the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of my resurrection too. And that there shall be one day when I will see fully and perfectly and eternally Your glory and we would shout and we would sing, Holy, 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 O Lord God Almighty. Father, may we thirst, hunger, desire to know your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.